Well, a happy new year and a welcome to those of you who are participating online. We're so grateful that you are here and a part of our church family this day. You know, every time we roll over a new year, there is an overwhelming temptation to take a little inventory of one's life. We ask ourselves questions like, how was 2022 for me? What have I really accomplished so far in life? But Jesus doesn't have a lot of patience with these questions. That's because Jesus doesn't care about your past. Let us pray. These words are yours, O Lord. They are eternal. They do not change. And thus we pray your Holy Spirit would speak them to each of our individual hearts and that that you would be our teacher in these moments. Amen. Charlie Brown once went to Lucy's psychiatric help booth. You remember? Five cents. He went to her psychiatric help booth and he asked her this question. He said, what is the meaning of life? To which Lucy responded, Charlie Brown, life is like a cruise ship. Some people have their deck chair facing the back of the ship to see where they have been. Other people have their deck chair facing the front of the ship to see where they are going. Now, Charlie Brown, which direction is your deck chair facing? To which he responded, I don't know. I can't seem to figure out how to get my chair unopened. Opened. (laughs) unfolded. Maybe you feel that way today. Luke tells us that Simeon was a righteous man. We had heard this already in Luke. He had said Joseph was a righteous man. And after we had just traveled through this Old Testament book, if you've been with us in Jeremiah, where it felt like who is righteous, suddenly when we begin the New Testament, God is saying, well, there are at least a couple. Joseph was a righteous man. Simeon was a righteous man. Now, Again, this word righteous is a big religious word that we so often associate with self-righteous. Sometimes when we hear the word, it connotates a person who never went to parties, who was dull and serious, whose life was so perfect, kind of made you envious or jealous or nauseous. Why was Simeon righteous? I think it's because he was really good at waiting and watching and hoping. Simeon's deck chair was facing forward. He looked to the future. Simeon, no doubt, had a life similar to ours. There's no reason to think it wasn't much like ours. I imagine he had children. I imagine, in my imagination, that he was very worried about one of them who had wandered off and was living a life of experimentation, maybe promiscuity. It left Simeon and his wife terribly worried and maybe guilt-ridden at times. What could I have done differently? Maybe I blew it back there. I suspect along the way, Simeon's wife may have had a bout with cancer and That was so trying and and so worrisome for him. 
Maybe, who knows, imagining here, maybe Simeon had a special needs son that left an ache in his heart. And on many days, he, he watched him struggle with simple tasks. Like us, I suspect that Simeon had seasons of regret and seasons of joy. There were times when he was probably proud, like when he won Priest of the Year. That award in the local clergy association. We don't know for sure if Simeon was a priest. History says that, but the text really doesn't tell us. I like to imagine that he was a priest. <clears throat> Maybe that's true. Simeon loved watching his daughter graduate from college and get married. But you know, none of that really affected him too much. He was waiting for something else. He was on the lookout for something bigger, more grand. He was waiting for a promise to be fulfilled. Somehow the Holy Spirit had spoken to Simeon when he was young and revealed to him that before he died, he would see the Lord Jesus Christ, or the Lord's Christ, meaning the Lord's anointed one. I suspect he probably immediately went to the scriptures and began to search, began to research and read and wonder about this one. And maybe he read these words, For a child's been born to us, a son given to us. Authority rests on his shoulders. And he's named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority will grow continually. There'll be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time on forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of the hosts will do this. Maybe he read that. Maybe he, he held on to the promise that I one day get to see this one. I will see this one arrive in person. So each year they would have religious services in the temple. Maybe on January 1st he wondered, will this be the year I see him? Maybe this is the year the promise will come. I will get to see him. It was his great hope. It was the longing of his soul. It appears that Simeon was an older man, probably well advanced in years, because part of Simeon's revelation by the Spirit was that after seeing the child, he would pretty soon depart from this life. <coughs> but at the end of the day, he wasn't searching for the perfect family. He wasn't hoping for the perfect relationship, the perfect home. He actually wasn't settling for anything. He was consumed with this promise that was made to him and this hope one day, maybe this year, hopefully I will see him. I will touch him. He lived his life on tiptoes expecting the day when he would meet the Messiah. Eugene Peterson has said that of all, all of the writers of the New Testament, think about all the writers of the New Testament, they are all standing on tiptoe, looking down the road, looking around the corner, in joyful expectation of seeing Jesus, of his return. That's how they wrote. With an expectancy on tiptoe, He's coming. We will see him. It permeates through all of their writing. 
this hope, this desire, this want. Always looking forward to what's to come. With great expectation, expectant joy about what's coming in our future. Now, according to Luke, there came a very specific time when Jesus finished his ministry in Galilee. He grew up and he began to do his ministry, teaching, healing. Crowds followed him. But there came a very specific time when Jesus turned his face toward Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is not just the ancient city. In the Bible, it stands as a symbol for the place of salvation. It's the place where we will finally see and understand what Jesus has been up to. At the end of the New Testament, we're told about a new Jerusalem, which all of creation is heading in the future. It's the place in time where God's reign is obvious, where creation is restored, where there are no more tears. So when you get to Jerusalem, you will join heaven and earth in, in the great celestial, oh, ha, ha. Now I get it. Now I see it. This is what it was all about. This is the meaning of life. Jesus turned his face toward Jerusalem and he said, we're going to go together. Come follow me. Now I suppose that there are actually many reasons to look backward or to turn back. You know, in Jesus' day, one follower heard Jesus' call and he said, well, but not now. I need to go home. I need to go back and bury my father. Another just wanted to say goodbye to his family. But Jesus' words are so severe. Let the dead bury their own dead. Put your hand to the plow and don't look backwards, he said. Doesn't that sound severe? We're going forward. We're looking ahead. There's no time to go back. We're not going back for whatever reason. No, he said. I do not believe that Jesus is telling us that we cannot grieve losses or remember our past. No one ever gets over the death of a family member. But if we don't grieve... We won't be able to keep moving. I don't think Jesus is saying you shouldn't grieve. And no no one ever learns without remembering the past. Jesus is not taking the past away from you. But he is making it painfully clear that life is waiting for you and for me down the road. And we're going to have to keep moving to get there. Or here's another way to put it. We wouldn't give any thought to what's back there. None if we knew how amazing it is in what's ahead. It's that big, that unimaginably glorious, that wonderful that Jesus is saying, oh, why would you go back? (laughs) Don't you know what awaits? Don't you know what's coming in our future? He's saying, no time to go back. Let's move toward it. I can't wait to get you there. Jerusalem. It can be so hard to leave behind the life you've enjoyed and keep moving. Unless you really can see Jesus along the way. That's what faith is, really. It's a way of seeing that Jesus is with us on the journey. 
You know, in Greek mythology, Odysseus was worried about succumbing to the siren voices as he and his shipmates traveled. And so he was tied up. He was lashed to the mast of the ship, unable to steer or change direction. We live in a world filled with siren voices. We do. Tempting voices, trying to get our attention. Voices filled with promises of power and glamour, half-truths, false saviors, fake news. We live in a world where there are so many voices against gospel truth telling us that we ought to be afraid and scared and worried and anxious about your future. Always trying to get our attention. And each voice is saying, notice me. Pay attention to me. This is really important. We get thrown around and we are left staggered, bruised, confused about what really matters. What is the real meaning of life? So we think, well, let's not think too much about the future. Let's just settle for right now. When I meet with young couples for premarital counseling, I ask them to write out some goals, some dreams for their marriage. I've read a lot of these, and after reading so many, I I am sometimes surprised by how unambitious these goals are. There's nothing wrong with them, but there are things like get rid of credit card debt, buy a house, take a vacation, and these goals, they're goals that tell me, you know, what we really want is just simply... We just want to find a little bit of happiness along the way. Many of our dreams by now haven't come to pass. We really are ready just to settle for a little bit of happiness along the way. Here's the problem with that way of thinking. If you're just trying to find a little bit of happiness, you're going to be really worried about who may take it away from you. Your attention will be focused on the political leader, the boss, the love interest. Because in them you find your hope. But also in them you find your future. And if you do that, they will have power over you. And that will leave you anxious, worried, and stressed, and afraid. And that little bit of happiness you were seeking can get lost in a sea of doubt or worry or even cynicism. Simeon is righteous because I don't think he got caught up in any of that. His deck chair was faced forward and his dream was lofty and big and grand. His focus and his eyes weren't on settling for a little bit of life. It was someday I will get to see God's anointed. That was his big dream. It was a promise. So led by the Spirit, Simeon one day entered the temple and as the parents of the child Jesus brought him in to carry out the rituals of the law, Simeon took him into his arms. Can you imagine the scene? Simeon taking baby Jesus in his arms and he was blessed by God and he said this. He said, God, you can now Release your servant. Release me in peace as you promised with my own eyes. I have seen your salvation, 
It's now out in the open for everyone to see a God-revealing light to the non-Jewish nations and of glory for your people Israel. And Jesus' father and mother, Joseph and Mary, were so surprised by this, spellbound at these words. And then Simeon, this good pastor, this good priest, went on to bless them and the child. What does it mean to be righteous? It means to watch and to wait and to hope. To be expectant. To live life on tiptoes, thinking today might be the day. This year may be the year. What good thing awaits me? What hope may arrive? These things are countercultural. They're revolutionary acts that say, my life is placed in God's hand. My future is based upon his promises. And if that's you and if that's me this year, we're not going to be so affected by political trends. We aren't going to be so affected by present circumstances or past regret or fears of loneliness. We're going to be lashed to the mast of a promise given to us by Jesus Christ that he has come for us and for our salvation and that one day we will see him. You know, I'm so struck by the fact that Simeon, Simeon held... Jesus in his arms. Think about that for a minute. This one man held in his arms the one who created all things. He held the one who holds all things together. Isn't that amazing to think about? What a moment that must have been. Friends, my charge to you this coming year is to live life on your tiptoes, expectant, with great expectation of seeing Jesus. Twelve times, including this morning, this year, we're going to gather at this table, first of the month. This table is a foretaste of what's to come. We get to touch our Lord. You know, it'd be nice to think that Simeon that day in the temples thought, my life is now complete and everything's fine. But it wasn't. Seeing Jesus just whetted his appetite for what is to really come. His longing increased. His expectancy emerged even more. And that's my hope for us as a congregation. That we will gather here in this sanctuary and worship and listen to our Lord speak. We'll listen to him speak during the week. And then we will gather here at this table once a month, maybe more during the year. And we'll actually let him hold us. My old professor Dale Bruner said when we come to this table, this is where Jesus throws his arms around us and hugs us. And every time we do it, we ex- our expectancy and hope increases. Someday, the promise will be fulfilled. 
and we will be with him. You're invited, friends, to come to this table. All who confess their sins, all who put trust in Jesus as their Savior, are invited to this feast to feel his touch and his embrace.